Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, we are, we ask now that at this moment, um, that you help us to transition from the beautiful music to the beautiful words of Scripture. May we be attuned to what you're trying to speak to us this morning, Lord. May you give us a fresh word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we are continuing through our sermon series, Christmas Through the Eyes of, and this morning, we will be looking at Christmas Through the Eyes of the Shepherds. One of the things you're going to find is that when we've gone through this sermon series, we keep touching on a lot of the same, on a lot of the same passages, and that's because the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about Jesus' birth, except for in two books, Matthew and Luke. And what we do is we keep coming back to the same texts because, one, God's Word, when it goes out, does not come back to Him empty. So God's Word always has something to tell us. And second of all, as we have found and as, we've spo- as I've talked about over the last year, is that a passage of Scripture has layers and layers and layers. It's kind of like an onion that you keep peeling away. The more you look at a text, the more it tells you the more it reveals about yourself. So with that in mind, I will say or I will ask you this question, and I don't want you to raise your hand and I don't want you to say anything because it might be embarrassing, but have you ever been picked last to be on a team? Has it ever happened to any of us when we were in elementary school where you're, you're setting up the teams to play football or basketball or kickball or whatever it is, and you're picked last? Nobody nobody wants to be picked last. It doesn't matter if you're picked second to last, that's okay, because the person that gets picked last, it's almost like saying, well, I'm stuck with you. None of us want to be picked last. None of us want to hear about a party that we're not invited to. Has that ever happened to you? Everybody's getting invitations. They're, hey, are you going to go to this party? It's like, I didn't hear about that party. And then how do you backpedal from that? oh, you know what, your invitation must be in the mail. Nobody wants to be left out. Nobody wants to be the outcast or those that are marginalized because I believe, and this is my belief and my opinion, that deep down inside, all of us have this need, this craving to be loved and accepted. Maybe not by everyone, but I don't think any of us like to be hated. I don't think any of us like to be purposely left out of things. And yet what we find in our society and in society since the beginning of time is that there was always people that have been marginalized and outcast and put to the side because of their social standing. And I know in this country we don't have like a caste system or a social way to rank people. But there are people who are on the outskirts and on the margins of society. There are people that are looked down upon. There are people that when we see them, we walk past them as fast as we can. And it was to these people or people similar to those who were picked last or looked over, people who weren't included in the mainstream of things. It was to those people that God chooses to reveal the birth of Jesus. Amen? You'll see by the end of the sermon, I hope I'll be having you say amen, because this is good news to each one of us. And I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, if you want to read on the screen, Luke chapter 2, follow with me, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20, and here is the story. In that region were shepherds, li- were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, 
and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of hev- of hev- wait what wrapped in bands of cl- of cloth and lying in a manger and suddenly there there was the angel what is wrong with me okay i don't have my glasses on and i took my glasses off for those of you who tell me you can't see my eyes take you know your reflective thing so blaming it on you guys no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hope of host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and and on earth peace among those whom he favors when the angels had left them and gone into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go now to bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the lord has made known to us so they went with haste and found mary and joseph and the child lying in the manger When they saw this, they made known what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds, the outcasts the people that were hired hands, the people that were just there to take care of somebody else's flocks. One person, one theologian writes that by the first century, shepherds had a rather unsavory reputation. Most of the times, shepherds were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and pilfered the produce of the land. So you can begin to imagine that if a shepherd comes to you and says, I have this good news, I have something to tell you, something great is happening, the Son of God, the King of all the universe is being born to us, and he's being born in a manger, do you think people were really going to believe that? You know, in a day of, you know, everything is on the internet now, right? There's, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's all those other things, there's blogs. And God chooses to reveal that the birth of his son to the outcasts, to the people that society didn't look good down upon, to the people that were on the outskirts, to the people that we wouldn't really necessarily hang out with. It was probably poor people, people barely trying to survive, trying to just make a penny any way they could. Now, in the first century, if a shepherd, being who they were, had a message, no one would really want to listen to him. Because in the first century, and maybe much like today, we listen to our senators, our congressmen, our mayors, our governors. We listen to people of authority. We listen to people that have some sort of status in this world. And so God, instead of choosing the scribes or the Pharisees or the religious leaders or the 1%, God chose to reveal his plans to the lowly, to the marginalized, to the poor. God could have chosen anyone, and in the process, God chooses the least of them to show people his message, which is good news for us, because I am 
not a senator or a king or a prince or a president. I'm just a regular guy. And what the story shows you and I is that God can do something amazing in your life, even if you feel like you don't have the qualifications to do something for God. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've stolen, as the shepherds may have, or what you have done to kind of cross the lines of black and white, no matter what you've done in your life or what you may do, God can still use you to do something powerful in this world. And oftentimes, it's not your decision, but it's God who initiates the conversation with you. What we find in the story of Christmas is that God continually is initiating the conversation with us about what God is asking us to do. And it's what I've said before. God's will will be done whether you're a part of it or not. God is just asking us to be a part of it because he knows how much we can benefit from it. Oftentimes, we think that God asks us to do things, and it's going to cost us something. Like, it's going to cost us to change the way we live, or it's going to cost us money, or it's going to cost us relationships, or it's going to cost our comfort of life. Sometimes we think that God, by following God, our whole life is going to change in a negative way. But what I have found time and time again is that though God calls us to do something, we always get the benefit. Let me give you an example. When we come to church, we praise, we sing. We come to church, and, and here's a little side note that's not, in my, it's not in, my, in my notes. When we come to church, our initial thought should never, ever be, I want to be fed today. I used to say that. I get fed at that church, but I don't get fed at that church. That's what I used to tell my parents when I wanted to go to a different church when I was old enough to drive. They didn't buy it. They don't care. They wanted me there. But the reality is, is if we come to church with the attitude of, I want to be fed, I want to get something out of this, we've already made a fundamental mistake about what it means to gather as a community of faith. This is not about you. This is not about what you get out of it. When we gather, do you know why we call it praise songs? Because we're praising God. Because we are emptying our hearts with our, through our voices and praising God for what he's done. When we pray, that's why I often and always try to give praise and thanks for the blessings that God has given us. Because that is why we gather here. When we read the word, it's, it's a proclamation of who God is. And we give thanksgiving and we're thankful for what God has done. And so what we do is we come on Sabbath morning to empty ourselves of what God has been doing all week. You see, some of us come to church just to be filled. I want to challenge you and say, no, no, on Saturday, it's to let out all that God has given us. It's to pour out to God. And some of you are saying, but pastor, I've been empty all week, so I'm going to challenge you to daily try to spend time with God every single day. And you will find that Sabbath morning comes and you will be more than happy to empty yourself of what God has given you because God doesn't just work on Sabbath. God works every day of the week, and it's on Sabbath that we come and we praise God. And in giving to God our praise through our singing, through our reading, through our skits, through our offering, through our tithe, in giving to God, what we find is that God gives us so much more back. I've often heard people say, it's when I go to church, I feel so much better, and I don't know why that is. 
That's because God's presence is felt here in a special way that perhaps we don't feel it elsewhere. And so oftentimes we think that when God asks us to do something that it's going to require too much of us, but the truth is is that if God asks us to follow him, God will make it worth our while. Now, if you get the weekly email, what, what, uh, it's called the Citrus News. If you don't, uh, we're going to be transferring to a new website in the next couple of weeks, and so we're going to get your email information. And the Citrus News is where you find all the information that's going on in the church on a week-to-week basis. Now, in it, I put on, the, on the, what's happening this Sabbath, it said, this morning in our Christmas through the eyes of the shepherd, we're going to ask the question, what do the shepherds and Albert Pujols have in common because apparently you can't be a Yankee fan if you're a part of this church (laughs) amen (laughs) for those of you that don't know Albert Pujols is an awesome baseball player I don't even know what position he plays sorry (laughs) but uh is it first base shortstop what first base got it right the first time (laughs) don't judge me What do the shepherds and Albert Pujols have? He's the newest addition to the angels that will hopefully propel them to win the championship once again. Big deal about him. Everybody has an opinion about him. But what do they have in common? I was reading an article about him this week. And uh, one of the things that it says is Pujols is a, Pujols, Pujols is a man who came from, from poverty. The youngest of 10 children in a town outside of Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic. He played catch with limes as baseballs and milk carton glove, got in games with older, harder-throwing kids, and often wore the jersey of his father, a local softball star. He was a man. He was a, he was a child, youngest of 10. By that point, they're just like, whatever. Like, they don't even, you know, parents after their first kid. If you know, I'm the youngest, so. But what I have seen and what I have heard about parents is the first child, you know, you know, everything is perfect. Like, right, you know, cover the corner of these steps because we don't want them to fall and hit their head, right? And let's, let's you know, baby-proof everything. And, oh, is, are they breathing, you know, when they're sleeping, right? If you ever held a baby, are they breathing, you know, you try to wake them up? The first child, right, it's like everything. The second child comes along, it's, oh, I'll get to fixing that edge of that stair later. The second child is like, is he breathing? I think so. The second, third, fourth, and fifth, don't laugh because it's true. That's what, that's what mothers have told me. But as every child that comes, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. Oh, yeah, they're supposed to make that sound. Like, I, I was holding my, my niece um, this, this week on, on Thursday night. We were at a Christmas concert. And uh, I'm one of those people that was like, is she breathing? And then she would move. I'm like, okay. And I was just looking. And the moment she, like, starts to open her eyes, I'm like, here, Kim. You know, because I don't know. They just starts crying in the middle of church, but not really crying. And I'm like, Kim, take her outside because she had the seat to take her out, not because I was telling my wife what to do. And, uh, and she was like, she's fine. I'm like, we're in church. Take her. And she wasn't really crying. I'm kind of like, a, you know, I don't know how to, kids, you know. But what happens is when you're the 10th, you're just kind of like, you'll take care of yourself. So Albert Pujols, in a way, was like the shepherds in the fact that they were poor, they didn't have much, they made do with what they had. And Pujols, like the, like the shepherds, were approached by the angels. Actually, I, 
<laughs> I did that for the Angel fans. Come on. But actually, the truth behind that was kind of the... <laughs> My wife didn't let me run that one by her this morning. <laughs> but here's, here's how they're a lot alike. Um, the Angels... Like him were the outcasts, the poverty, the lowest of the low. There was, they had no place in society. And yet God has used Albert Pujols not just, to, um, not just to entertain us with baseball and his ability and skills, but one of the things that um, he does is he does a lot for other people. Um, he married, when he married his wife, she had a child with Down syndrome. He had, she had a child with Down syndrome. And they started a foundation that helps people with Down syndrome. On going to the Dominican Republic one year, um, his wife saw all of the need, and she says, she comes back and she tells him, we have to do something about this. We can do something about this. And in some of the poorer places, she's, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, I'll go down there, I'll do this. And she says, Re- you have to remember, this is his wife telling, you know, her husband, wives always have a way of doing this, you know, keeping us humble. She says, you got to remember, most of these kids, they may not, and maybe it wasn't Dominican Republic, it might have been somewhere else, but she said, you have to remember that some of these kids, they don't have TVs. They're not going to know who you are. And yet he is still motivated to do good. God comes to the shepherds that they would bring good news to others. And in some ways, and this is kind of where it kind of get, comes together, for Albert Pulhos, God has used him to bring good news to others. Now, I used to believe that when these baseball players would kind of do their, cruci- you know, the whatever the thing is called, you know, or point to the sky, I'd be like, God doesn't care. But what I'm beginning to realize now is, hey, they're on a platform where they're showing, you know, my God comes first. Tim Tebow does it all the time. They call it, you know, you're going to get Tebowed. They're, they're doing the Tebow. He's a football player. But the truth is that God, I'm beginning to realize can use any and all of these circumstances to draw attention to who he is that all may be saved through him. God comes to the shepherds because they would be the ones that would be receptive to his message. To someone that is rich and has everything, they may not always be as receptive as someone someone who has little and is in great need. Now this week I was talking to a friend of mine. And uh, well, he's a friend, I suppose, he doesn't come to this church. But we sat and we talked for a couple of hours, and he was just pouring his heart out to me and just telling me all of his struggles. He wasn't asking me for anything. He was giving a testimony to me. And he says that sometimes, you know, he's, he's out of work right now. His wife works. His wife and, and, and him, they can't live in the same place because she lives in a place where they're providing her, her and her son somewhere to live because she has to share one room with another lady and her son. And so he can't live there, right, because it's weird. So he's staying with a friend, and they're very much in love. And there's no, I mean, they're awesome couple, but it's just that the circumstances have forced them to live apart for now. And he sees her every day, all that. And, and he would get mad, and he says, I tell my wife, man, I'm just, I hate this. Why does this have to be, why does this have to be the way, you know, it is for us? I want things to be better. And he would, and he would get upset and tell her, like, you know, find someone else. Someone else can provide better for you. And she turns to him and she says, listen, would you rather be rich and have everything? Or would you rather see the, the signs and wonders of God in your life? And he says, well, I want to see the miracles and the signs and wonders. She says, okay, then stop complaining 
because we see it every day. You see, God, God chooses the poor often. God chooses those that have no real place in society because God knows that they will listen and be receptive to his word. Where sometimes those of us that have more feel like we have it under control. And I remember now, I don't make, you know, my wife and I are not rich, right? You know, we never have need, but we're not rich. But when I was sitting there listening to this guy tell me the story, all I could think about is I want to have that faith. I would trade everything that I have to have what he has. He says, I've taught my son how to pray. I've had to pray. He says, you don't know what it feels like to have to pray to be able to afford socks for your child. You have no idea what it feels like when, you know, all of his friends have everything and I can't give him any of it. He's not a lazy man. He's a man of God who's trying the hardest that he can. And yet God, time and time again, provides for him and for his family. And he says, I wouldn't trade being able to see the miracles of God for anything else. And I told him, I'm here to minister to you. And through this story, you are ministering to me because I have everything. I have everything I could possibly want or possibly need. And I have several of them. Okay? And yet I always find myself wanting more where this person says, all that I have is a gift and a blessing. So during this time of Christmas, as we look at Christmas through the eyes of the shepherds, what we find is that God chooses you to be his message, to be his word unto this world. And it doesn't matter if you don't have a lot or if you have too much. God will use you because God chooses to work with us that we would be able to get the message of who he is to this world. I'm going to be wrapping up with that. Um, I, I had like a whole bunch more to the sermon, but I feel that God's spirit is leading me to end there because it might be distracting.